Well, as I mentioned, we will be celebrating communion today. Usually our habit is we do that right before the sermon. I'm actually going to do it after the sermon. But first let me explain. When I say communion, some of you uh, are familiar with the term the Lord's Supper. Some of you are familiar with the term the Eucharist. Some of you think of the Last Supper. And the Last Supper refers to a famous painting that is on the wall of a dining room in Milan, and it looks like this. You can see at the bottom of it, that is actually a doorway that goes through the wall. That's why that is knocked out there at the bottom. But so that you can see it better, look at this restoration. Now that is a very large painting. It is 15 feet tall. It is 29 feet wide. Very, very famous painting of the Last Supper. But you might be a little bit more familiar with the 2020 version that looks like this. And that is pretty much what we are going to be doing together. We are doing virtual communion today. The reason I'm going to be doing it after the sermon is because we as a church are going through the Gospel of Luke. We are now up to Luke chapter 22, and it's in Luke 22 that we encounter the Last Supper. That's the passage that we're going to be looking at today. We'll unpack it a while, and then we'll celebrate communion together. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the Scriptures. We're in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13, and here's what it says. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Let me explain a few things. It talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was a 30-day feast. The very highlight of it The crux of it was the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a complicated meal. Think of how we prepare for Thanksgiving. There's a lot that goes into it. Passover included unleavened bread, bitter herbs, wine, lamb. It was complicated. And these guys are from out of town. Remember, Jesus and his disciples, they're Galileans from up north. And so they are in town. Now, lots of Jews would have traveled into Jerusalem for this feast, for the Passover. They're not the only ones, but anyone from out of town had to prepare a place, arrange a place to prepare and eat the Passover meal. So Jesus has arranged a spot, but he did it in secret. Maybe you remember from last week why he did this. Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus. And he's looking for an opportunity to have Jesus arrested when he's away from all the crowds. His disciples, that's fine. But the big crowds in the Passover meal would have been the perfect spot to arrest Jesus. 
But Jesus wants to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He doesn't want to be arrested and betrayed then. And so he keeps the location secret. And he does this little setup. And what he does is he sends Peter and John into Jerusalem. And he says, look for the guy who's carrying a jar of water. And we think, what's the big deal there? Back in their day, men carried skins of water. Women carried jars of water. So if you saw a dude carrying a jar of water, he'd stand out. That's like saying, go look for the guy with a purse. Which admittedly in our day and age doesn't stand out quite as much anymore. But that's what's going on there. Look for that unique sign. And so they follow the guy to his house. And indeed, that's where they can prepare the Passover and celebrate it with Jesus. Now, in order for you to understand all the significance in what we'll be reading today, I want you to make sure you understand something about the Passover. Because I realize some of you don't know as much about the Old Testament, and that's totally fine. So let me make sure we're all up to speed. I'm going to give you five things about the Passover. And the first one is this. They were slaves. Israelites, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. I mean, harsh slavery. They were treated horribly, and they had no hope. They couldn't rescue themselves. They couldn't fix it. They were stuck. They were slaves. Secondly, God rescued them. God rescued them. Maybe you've heard some of the stories about how God sent all these plagues on Egypt. There were plagues like uh, what was frogs and gnats and boils and hail and all kinds of things. And all that was to try to twist Pharaoh's arm to let the Israelite slaves go, to free them. And Pharaoh would say, sure, and then he'd relent and say, no. And he was playing with them, yes, no, yes, no. And so God kept doing these plagues. Well, the tenth and final plague was the worst one. And what he said is this, that on this night that someone's going to die. Meaning that overnight what would happen is the firstborn child in every household in Egypt would die. It's a terrible plague. But God said, hey, listen, Israel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare a meal with lamb. And I want you to enjoy that feast, enjoy that meal. But you take some of the blood of that lamb and you put it over the doorposts of your house. And overnight, death will pass over. The Passover, it'll pass over you. And so no one in their house died. None of the children died, okay? Now the point is this. Death is coming. Death is coming. And the next day in Egypt, someone was dead in every household. Either there was a dead lamb or a dead child. Somebody had to die. And so that was the, the Passover. And what happened then is Pharaoh was devastated. He let the people of God go, which means they were rescued by God. They didn't do it. They just received rescue. They were delivered and they were led to freedom. It was beautiful. So thirdly, what developed is a meal. This was an annual celebration that the Jews ate this meal in order to remember. Now, this meal had several complicated aspects, but at least three things had to be present. One was unleavened bread. There had to be bread. Now, it had to be unleavened, and the reason why is because the Jews were going to leave quickly as slaves and be on the run, basically. So, bread without a yeast, a rising agent, unleavened bread. And then, secondly, there had to be four cups of wine. Now, the different cups of wine in the Passover meal had different symbols, uh, uh, different aspects of their deliverance by God. 
But I like to assume that they were small cups of wine or they just took sips. Because listen, if you've got a religious celebration in which every member of your family drinks four glasses of wine during a meal, you need to come to our Thursday night meeting. We've got a great AA group there. They're doing the room by Zoom right now, so you can join in. And yeah, that would be just wrong. So they, they had these four cups of wine, though. So there's bread and there's wine. So we have it here. We have bread and, the, and then there's the cup. And then the third aspect that had to be a part of it was the lamb. Remember, there was a substitutionary sacrifice. Somebody had to die, either a child or a lamb. And so the lamb died, and therefore they were delivered. So you had the bread, you had the cup, and you have the lamb. This was a meal that they partook in to celebrate and worship, okay? Now, fourth thing I want you to know about Passover is that it was all about connection. Connection in three ways. Connection with family, connection with the greater faith community, and then connection, most importantly, with God himself. Let me bump through those real quick. Passover for them was like our Thanksgiving. You know how Thanksgiving is a complicated meal, but at the same time, we all do it on the same day. It's a similar meal, but it's all about family. You always go back to mom's house, right? Like there's this collection of extended family that gathers together. Okay, that was similar. So it's not just about other. It is about connecting with family. But also, it was about connecting with the greater faith community. That all Jewish households would celebrate this same meal on the same night. They did it together. And they knew that we were in it together. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. I fry a turkey out on the driveway out in front of our house. And as neighbors walk by or drive by, they wave because they know what I'm doing because we're all doing the same meal on the same day. And there's this greater connection to the community around us. That was true for Passover. It was a connection to the Jewish community. And then lastly and most importantly, connection with God. They were remembering what God did for them. And so this meal was worship. This meal was celebrating their deliverance. Passover was all about connection. All right, last thing I want you to know is Passover was both looking back and looking forward. Looking back and looking forward. They would look back because they were remembering. Remember what God did for us in the Exodus when he got us out of Egypt and delivered us as slaves? That was so amazing. Let's remember the Passover. It's all about the Exodus looking back. But also, it was also about looking forward to a future exodus when the Messiah would come and lead the Jews out once again. It looked back and looked forward. So what the Jews did is they celebrate the Passover year after year after year after year. Because they're never done. It's like they push the boulder up to the top of the hill and then gradually throughout the year it rolls back down. And then next year they have to push it back up over and over and over. And the question of Passover is, will God ever provide a final solution, a perfect eternal lamb, one so powerful that it solves a problem for all time, something final, something that would say it is finished. And then Jesus came on the scene. And now we're going to continue reading out of Luke 22. Let's go to the next verse, which is verse 14, and we read this. 
And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All right, that was the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the very first communion. Now, by our reckoning of days, that would have been Thursday night. Jesus was crucified on Friday and rose on Sunday. But by the Jewish reckoning of days, they count a day stopping and starting at sundown. So this would have been for them rolling over Thursday night into, they would consider Friday morning, in a sense, starting at sundown on Thursday. But this was the Passover meal, and I want you to know that after this Passover meal, things are going to start to move really quickly. Like the, the things, are just, it's going to swirl. You know how like a hurricane swirls? And in the midst of that hurricane swirling, there's that eye right in the middle of the storm, the calm in the middle of the storm. After Passover, it's all going to swirl. This Passover meal is the eye, the calm in the middle of the storm. And what's going on is Jesus just wants to hang out and celebrate Passover with his men. What he did is he took Passover and he gave it new meaning. And he gave us communion. And there's actually five things, strangely enough, five things that I want you to know about communion. They might sound familiar to you. Let's look at the first one. It is this. We are slaves. We were slaves. Ever since the Garden of Eden, death is coming. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to death. And actually, our slavery was way worse than the Israelites because at least they could die and go home. But we die and we go to eternal slavery, eternal condemnation. We were in a very, very terrible position, and we couldn't fix it. We couldn't get out of it. We did nothing. We only received salvation by grace. It kind of reminds me of kids on Christmas morning. You know how little kids come down, and they see the tree with all the presents packed under it, and the lights are on, I'm sure, and all that, and they get so excited. It's so magical. It's so fun. There's awe, and there's wonder going on there. It is beautiful. What a thrill. The kids did nothing for that. They just received it. And there are mom and dad slumped on the couch, exhausted, because we got up so early, Right? Uh, and so mom and dad are just tired, but the kids are thrilled because they did nothing for that. That was Israel. They did nothing. They were just rescued. That's us. We did nothing, and we're welcome to this feast, and we are thrilled and excited like little kids on Christmas morning. We did nothing. He did all the work. We're simply slaves. Now, secondly, God rescued us. God rescued us. 
Remember, at Passover, there's always, uh, there's bread, and then there's the cup, there's wine, and then there is the lamb. Now, the lamb is the crucial part of the Passover meal. Remember that, right? That on that morning, there was somebody dead. It was either a child or a lamb. The lamb is so important. What's interesting, though, is in all the gospel accounts, none of them at the Last Supper, none of them mentioned lamb. None of them, where was the lamb? It's because he was standing right there. And his name was Jesus. He was the lamb. If you look in the beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, when Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry, John the Baptist points at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul would write about Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He would say, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is the Lamb. And because of our sin, death is coming. And it'll be you or it'll be Jesus. And that's what he did when he hung on the cross. He died in our place as our substitute, a substitutionary sacrifice. He is the Lamb. And it is his blood that was spilled and his blood covers us. If we put our faith, if we give our heart to Jesus, then we are covered by the blood of the Lamb and death passes over us. Passover. Now, it was different than the old Passover. Because Jesus said that this was a new covenant in my blood. Did you catch that? New covenant. How is this new? Well, in this case, what you have is a perfect lamb, the eternal lamb. So there will no longer be striving year after year after year. And go figure, today in Israel, they no longer sacrifice a Passover lamb. Huh. How about that? It's because Jesus was the final one. And when he hung there, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, another way that it is new or different is he said that that he talked about the bread. He said, the bread is my body. And he said this, given for you, given for you. Listen, every Passover lamb was led to the slaughter unwittingly, unwillingly, and, and consent to that. But Jesus was very different. Jesus knew exactly what was coming his way, and he marched right in there for us. You see, this Lamb of God died by choice for us. He willingly died for us slaves to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's why when we gather together, and I regret that we can't right now, but when we celebrate communion together and we pass that plate, we say, the sacrifice of Christ for you given for you. Jesus gave it to you. Oh, it's so cool. All right, the next thing we want to remember about communion is that like Passover, it's a meal. It is a meal. All right, so communion is one of two ordinances. The other is baptism. We only have two ordinances, and that, that means that Communion is like a really, really big deal for us. It is the cup, which symbolizes the blood of Christ, and the bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ, broken for us, shed for us, and we eat to remember what the Lamb did for us. 
I want you to soak in this quote from N.T. Wright. He, he has a wonderful quote on this. Listen. He said, When Jesus wanted to fully explain what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give a theory. He didn't even give them a set of scriptural texts. He gave them a meal. It was undoubtedly a Passover meal, but it was undoubtedly a Passover meal with a radical difference. Instead of Passover pointing backward to the great sacrifice by which God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, this meal pointed forward to the great sacrifice by which God was to rescue his people from their ultimate slavery, from death itself, and all that contributed to it. Oh, what a wonderful quote. This is a meal, and we partake in that meal out of worship, out of remembrance for how God rescued us. Now, the next thing I want you to remember is communion is about connection. It's about connection, just like Passover. Listen, in the Middle Eastern mindset, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Middle Eastern mindset, Meals were not just about nutrition or sustenance. They were about friendship. They're about celebration. They're about pleasure. They're about connection. And so it is with communion. It is, again, family, faith, community, and God. Let me bump through those. Family. So communion is a family affair. But in this case, it gets redefined. Family does not mean your relatives like on Thanksgiving. In this case, family means the family of Christ. Remember, Jesus had relatives, but he earnestly desired to celebrate this Passover, this first communion, with his disciples, with his family of faith, that is the church. We gather as a church to do this. Communion is a family affair. To participate with Christ, you must participate with Christ's family. Because after all, at communion, I remember that Christ has not just saved me, he saved us. And so I gather together with the us, with the many, in order to celebrate what Jesus has done. Now, in the New Testament, you never see communion being celebrated in isolation. You never see that. And that is why we hold the cup at the end of communion until all have been served. And then we partake of that together because communion is a family affair, spiritual family. Now, secondly, communion is a, an issue of the greater faith family, the greater faith community, community. So in the first family, it is the Little C Church, our Redemption Chapel family. But in the second aspect, it is the capital C church, the whole church that stretches throughout the centuries and around the globe. All of them, all of us, we have been celebrating baptism and communion together for a long, long time. And I've told you before, I love when I go on mission trips that I celebrate communion with the mission team down in that country, wherever we are. And it's creative. We got to make it up and find stuff that kind of works for the elements. But that's not the point, right? And we celebrate communion. Look, here's the part I didn't tell you. A lot of times the local missionaries down in those countries, they celebrate communion with us in those moments. And they often get teary-eyed. They often get choked up. Why? 
Because the thing that we take for granted is such a precious treasure to them and they don't get it as often in the family of Christ and it breaks their heart and then they get it and they love it. They, they weep. See, this is an issue of connection to the broader family of God. The faith community. Now, third and last and most important is uh, this is connection to God himself. Remember, Jesus said, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Do you hear the love in Christ's voice when he says that? He just wants to hang out and eat communion with his men before he gets it done. But you understand there's more to it than that. Ever since the Garden of Eden, death has been coming. And Jesus for hundreds and thousands of years, actually, has been earnestly desiring to get this thing done, to have a final solution so that the Lamb of God could say, it is finished. He earnestly desires to get that meal done. But know this clearly. A cracker and a little shot of juice does not connect you to God. Never has and it never will. Judas was right there at that meal. Judas did not give his heart to Jesus, did not give his heart to God himself. And so Judas was not connected. He had the first communion, that Passover meal, he was there, but it did not connect him to God. And Jesus said of him, it would have been better for Judas had he never been born. Ooh, that's, that's terrifying. Think about that. That the, the communion does not save you. See, communion points to the gospel. The gospel is what saves us. Communion doesn't save. Communion points to the gospel. The gospel is what saves. And that is why when we celebrate communion, we give you time and space that you can reflect on the gospel and then you take the bread on your own. We don't tell you when to take it. We want you to do it on your own time because that's an individual decision that you say, yes, yes, Jesus, yes. Take the bread on your own because a cracker won't save you. It's a moment to remember what God has done for you. All right, that's connection. Uh, fifth and last about communion. It is both looking back and looking forward, just like Passover. Now, on the one hand, we look back at what the Lamb of God, the eternal Passover Lamb, what He did for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We were slaves to sin, to death. We were slaves for eternity. But Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and, and He is the centerpiece of our faith. The gospel is the centerpiece of our faith. And when we celebrate communion, we look back on the gospel and we celebrate it. We look back. Oh, but don't miss this. We also look forward. We look forward to the return of our king. Listen, he came the first time as a meek and mild Passover lamb. He's coming back the next time as the Lion of Judah in full strength and honor and glory and dignity. He is coming back. And Jesus said this. In the communion, we've read it already this morning, he said, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, you, you understand that eternal paradise will begin with a feast. 
And at that time, we will raise a glass together with Jesus. And Jesus is saying that until that time, while we drink to remember, he won't touch it. He said, I will not touch it until I get it to drink it anew with you in the new kingdom. And so he is just waiting. He cannot wait for us. So communion looks back on what he did. It looks forward to his return. And what it is, it's like a tactile sermon. It's a sermon right there. It's a tactile sermon that you can touch and feel and taste. In fact, I heard one retired pastor put it this way. He said it's like the pictures of his family in his office. What he's saying there is the pictures of his family, it's not that he can't remember what they look like. But when he looks at those pictures, he longs for his family, he remembers his family, and he looks forward to seeing his family. And that's exactly what communion is. We look back and we look forward. All right. What I want to do next then is give you just a few tips to hold on to for when we celebrate communion every month. Okay, first let me pause there. We do it once a month. Remember, Passover was an annual celebration. Some churches do it annually. Some churches do it every week. Actually, the Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to waste a lot of energy on that. I'll tell you, though, the reason we do it monthly is because we feel like annually is not often enough, but every week you lose the specialness of it and it just becomes a ritual. You go through the motions to get it out of the way. And so we do it monthly to really reflect. That's why we do it. But every time we celebrate communion, we have the bread and the cup, and the Lamb. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is with us in His presence every time. We have all three. And so here are some things to remember when you celebrate communion. Number one, I want you to pause in the eye of the storm of life. Ah, listen folks, Life is swirling around us, and it's so busy, and it's so hurried, and it's so tough. And right now, that is so true. Life is hard. It's emotionally swirling around us, and stop. Hit pause. Get in the eye of the storm where that's a little bit of calm, and we celebrate communion right there. And when we do, what we do is, number, uh, number two, we remember our slavery. We've messed up, each and every one of us, huge, and we can't fix it. But here's the good news. Number three, remember what Jesus did for us. By becoming our Passover lamb, by grace we just received it. He took our place. He said it is finished. So Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's about what he has already done for us in the sacrifice of Christ. So what we do is we partake of this meal in gratitude and worship. And then next, we look forward to reunion with Christ. Listen, every time I take this cup, I remind myself that Jesus said he will not drink of it until he can do it again with me in the kingdom of God. That Jesus is looking forward to reunion with me as I look forward to reunion with him. He is coming back. And then... Next, I want you to celebrate. Listen, folks, this communion is not a funeral. It's a final victory. 
in Passover, the Jews came together in celebration because God led them out of slavery. They had victory. It was an awesome thing. Look what God has done. And that is the same thing with communion. But unfortunately, some Christians have turned communion into a funeral service. And it's so solemn. It's like a funeral dirge is going on there. This is not a funeral. It is a celebration. Yes, Jesus died, but did you know the tomb's empty, right? He rose. We are freed by his death and his resurrection, and he's coming back for us. We will feast with him. We celebrate. And so this is a symbolic meal. Okay? Granted, when you take just a little piece of bread and a little cup, it's a very small meal. But it is a symbolic meal. And we eat that meal to celebrate and to remember it's a celebratory feast. All right. And then last thing, I want you to be fulfilled in Christ. Don't you dare... Let this communion meal celebration become an empty, hollow ritual where you just go through the motions. Don't let that happen. Understand this. Jesus is not offering you the bread. He is the bread. He's not offering you life. He is the life. He's not offering you the lamb. He is the lamb. He's not offering you salvation. He is the salvation. He's not offering you redemption. He is the redemption. It's all about him. And folks, we crave so many things in life around us and we consume so much and we're so empty still. And what that shows us is that our cravings are very misplaced. And the right satisfaction of all our cravings are right there in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right there. I want you to feast on Christ because he is what you're looking for feast on that meal. All right, let me land with this then. I read in one of Ravi Zacharias's books, he told the story of a mountain climber named Andy Harris, who in 1986 was attempting to climb Mount Everest with a crew. And it didn't go well. It went horribly. And so they had to return to base camp. Uh, Harris let the team go first, and he was following up after them descending and he got in trouble. He was running out of oxygen. He was flirting with death. Now, fortunately, he came across a cache of canisters of oxygen left by previous uh, mountain climbers. Uh, and so he was at first thrilled, but then he became disheartened because he realized that all the canisters were empty of oxygen. So he radioed base camp. Now, here's the rub. Those canisters were not empty. And the, the base camp tried to convince them. The previous guys that just came down said, no, there's oxygen. Those things are full. And they could not convince Harris to take the oxygen. The irony was that he held in his hands the very thing that he needed. But because it wasn't in his brain, because it wasn't in his heart, he was so disoriented and so disillusioned that he threw it aside and he died. Death is coming. He was so, so close. Listen, when you take communion, you hold in your hands the very thing you need most. Not the bread and the juice. No, that's not what I'm, I'm saying you hold the gospel of Christ. And what I want you to do is to feast on the gospel. Feast on it.
Well, that is exactly what we're going to do right now. Usually at the end of a sermon, I pray. But in this case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us right into communion. 